Greetings one and all, wherever you are in the universe, metaverse, or anywhere else. Welcome to an espresso shot of confidence. The podcast that explores all aspects of confidence, challenges, taboos, and unhelpful narratives, and empowers you to be awesome, loudly and proudly. So it's time for you to grab a drink and settle in for the next however long this episode is. I'm your host, the Master of Awesomeness, Ashley Griffiths, and today we will be talking about mental health. So in recent years, mental health has gained a lot more attention from the government, health organizations and charities as the extent of the problem has become apparent. Stress, anxiety and depression are just some of the conditions that record numbers of individuals are living with. In the UK alone, it is estimated that over 8 million people experience an anxiety disorder at any one time. With Mind UK reporting that every single week, six in 100 people are diagnosed with a generalized anxiety disorder in England. And it's important to state that these figures probably don't tell the whole picture. And the real figures are likely to be much higher as many people still do not let others know that they are struggling. Luckily, there are people and organizations out there continually raising awareness of the challenges we all face in modern society and what we can do to provide supportive environments for everyone. So who better to talk to about this than Shannon Humphrey, a first aid for mental health instructor and the founder of Pathways for Positivity. Shannon supports individuals manage anxiety and get through tough times. She also runs a variety of workshops and training sessions with organizations that promote employee well-being. So, morning, Shannon. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm awesome, thank you. I'm awesome. Awesome. I wouldn't have expected yeah. anything else. Absolutely. That's just the way I roll. That's just the way I roll. <laughs> so first things first, um, for anyone out there that has absolutely no idea what a first aid for mental health instructor is, could you let them know what it is you do and how you can support people? Yeah. So for years we've had um, just general first aid in schools, colleges and businesses. So we know what, happen what happens if somebody falls over and uh, sprains a wrist. We know to often get ice and bandage it up and package it. We know what to do with the externals. But then, like you said, there's a lot more awareness now that people have got mental health challenges and well-being issues. So we needed to do something that works on a fast acting basis within within a work, school or even a personal environment. So like first aid for the physical body, we want something quick before the person goes off to the emergency services or they go and see the doctor or the hospital or even the dentist. So we know if there's something wrong with the physical body, we can do something with that. But when it comes to mental health and well-being, we also need somebody on site that can help you there and then. So it might be that um, there might be a colleague or a student or somebody that's not feeling at the best and they want to go and speak to somebody. The first stage of mental health person in the organisation will be a point where somebody can go to and speak to and let them know how they're feeling and hopefully they'll be then able to signpost them on to other agencies. So a first aid for mental health person, they can't diagnose what the problem is and they can't issue medication, but there can be a point where somebody can go and tell them how they're feeling and then in turn they'll be able to help them at work oh, awesome. school or college. Oh, that's, that's great. That's so needed, right? Absolutely. You know, there's so many people suffering in silence or, or don't know where to go or who to speak with. So I think that's having that awareness that there's something there. I think, yeah, no, we need more of it, right? Definitely. Absolutely. First aid for mental health aiders as well. They're a great resource to have in, um, I would say, school, college and education, because that's what I mostly work in. But you can have them in any environment. First aid for mental health aiders, um, they're fantastic as well, because they have a wealth of qualities and skills from learning this. So they learn to be more empathetic, they're better listeners, they're able to signpost people. And by, by being able to do that, they actually... They're a great asset to the organisation because they can kind of keep people on their feet. So whereas somebody might feel a little bit stressed at work and think, well, that's it now. I need to take a couple of weeks off because I can't stand it anymore. 
by being able to go and speak to a mental health first aider, they might be able to say, well, actually, have you thought about, and then they might be able to give them some holistic ideas and some examples of things that they might be able to do. So that person can then in turn manage their stress without needing to take any time away from the organisation. So they're actually worth their weight in gold. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because mental health condition stress leads to major issues in the workplace, right? Absenteeism, um, people burning out, um, even just not being productive if they do continue to show up. So I think having that is something that can be very helpful. Absolutely. I always think it's good if you have a mental health first aider who is on a similar level if you like to the person that they're speaking with because quite often I've spoken to organizations and they always want the senior leadership team to be mental health first aiders Mm. and that's fine but quite often people um their colleagues won't approach people that they see to being senior to them because they feel that it might be like a black mark against their name they might not want to go to HR so having somebody at a a similar level similar scale of work to what you do is a really helpful person to have on hand I was talking to another gentleman the other week about mental health and and the reason why people might not speak up about that or the fact that they're struggling, burnout, stress, they've got stuff going on in the personal life, which is impacting their ability to, to show up in any way, shape or form. And one of the reasons why a lot of people don't speak up is because they don't want to be a, like you just said, they don't want a black mark against them to be perceived to be a liability. But, other people are worried that they may be a burden. No, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That that happens a lot. Yes. What advice would you have for people that, you know, that may be in a position like they're feeling that right now, they're a bit stressed and they have maybe that access to talk to someone, but they still carrying around this, this resistance to talking out for, for reasons we just mentioned, what advice would you give to them? Do you mean particularly in a working environment or in any walk of life? Because I, I think they're slightly different things. Okay, let's have a look at the work environment. Yeah, the, for somebody that's feeling stressed and overwhelmed, they usually have an employee assistance program. So a lot of organisations will have an opportunity for members of staff to ring a helpline number. Now, we actually know that employee assistance programmes to be truthful, they're not highly subscribed to for the reasons aforementioned. So people think they're going to ring this number, speak to somebody, and then somehow or other it'll get back to HR, it'll become a black mark against the name, and that can set off another cycle of worry. So if you do have somebody who's there as a first mental health or first aid um, person, try and speak to them if you can. There are other things if you don't want to speak to somebody, there are things that you can do for yourself to empower yourself. Things like learning to say no. If you're feeling overwhelmed, you've been given too much to do and you can't manage, learn how to say no. Make sure that you're getting adequate breaks. Make sure that you're getting regular fresh air and exercise. Make sure that you're having your lunch. And make sure that you are as prepared for your own well-being as you can be because we've also got to accept a certain amount of personal responsibility i think sometimes that gets a little bit lost we put the onus on the um, employer Mm -hmm. and actually the employee has got to take a certain amount of personal responsibility if you feel that you are doing everything that you can to empower and better yourself um, in the healthiest way that you can and you still don't feel happy satisfied fulfilled at that point you really need to seek alternative advice it might not be enough to speak to the mental health first aider at work perhaps you need to book in and speak to the GP and yeah. if, as always the overriding advice to any of this is if you feel overwhelmed to the point where you want to hurt yourself or somebody else then you need to um, immediately um, seek advice and help okay one of the things you were you were talking about there that taking responsibility for your personal health i think certainly in the self-employed solopreneur entrepreneur business Mm -hmm. space we're constantly surrounded by hustle culture messages of hustle culture you need to be up at 3 a.m 
you know, if you're not up at 3 a.m. and you haven't sent out 100 cold emails by that time, you're never going to be successful. Eating, eating's for losers, sleeping's for losers, things like that. There's a lot of really toxic, negative messages coming out. I think it's really important, like you said, people actually are mindful about themselves. Definitely. You know, and looking after themselves. And also don't compare yourself to somebody else. I think that's a massive thing. I think a lot of problems come from comparing ourselves to others. I've been to organisations where people say, well, this person's got a much bigger workload than I have and they're not stressed. I don't have nearly as much as them and I feel like this. But truthfully, you don't know how the other person is feeling. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know how they process things. So you need to look at what's on your own plate rather than looking at somebody else's. Think about what you've got to do and the steps that you can take to improve where you are with your circumstances. And as easy and as tempting as it is to look at somebody else, I would urge you, if if you can, not to do that. Yeah, I often talk about comparisonitis. Certainly in the social media field where I'm working, everyone's just comparing themselves to everyone else. And you, you never know the full pit. We all have different ways of reacting. We all have different ways of working. We all have things that light us up and things that bring us down. Different insecurities, different insecurities. So, yeah, it's very hard. Just being aware of that is, is powerful, knowing that we're all different. And, and trying wherever possible to step away from from that comparison, for sure. So one of the things that's come up a lot recently i've heard so many more people talking about since the pandemics is anxiety i read an article about this yesterday that was research on it that certainly since the pandemics the increase in social anxieties has increased general anxiety has increased i know personally um i i've always generally had some form of anxiety going on in my life but certainly on a social anxiety point of view since the pandemic it's it's been on a different level um and that's taken some effort really to to get past that so just for anyone who's maybe unfamiliar with these terms or unsure on what it is how would you define anxiety so there's lots of different types of anxiety. I think people fall into the trap of thinking that there is only one type of anxiety. And actually, there are several. The most common, commonly diagnosed anxiety is GAD, which mm. is Generalised Anxiety Disorder. That's where there's a constant feeling of worry and dread and waiting for the shoe to fall. And you can't put your finger on it, but something's just not right and you just don't feel good. And that's a feeling that bubbles in your stomach or people feel anxiety at different places in the body. If I feel a little bit anxious, I kind of feel like I've got a coat of it on, if you like. I can feel it all over me. It's like slipping on a jacket of anxiety and it's horrible. And a lot of times people don't know how to slip off that anxiety, that feeling. The difference between anxiety and stress, because those two things often get interchanged, are that anxiety bubbles up from within. So it might be something that hasn't happened yet, or it might be something that's happened in the past. So it's something internal that you're trying to process. Whereas the feelings of stress, although they're very closely related to anxiety, differ in the fact that that's from an external situation that's current and happening now. So something stressful would be um, if I walked out of here after the podcast, had my earphones on, crossed over the road and a car came flying down and I had to jump back, my stress response would kick in. That's a feeling and a flood of fear, panic, that fight or flight that we've learned about before, that kicks in. That's where you don't have to run, fight, flee. There's also a fawn, which people don't know a lot about. And fawn is where you kind of... Um, where you sort of duck down and, and you're fearful. So that's kind of like fawning. And that feeling of fawning is actually quite closely related to anxiety. That's a feeling where we want to make ourselves smaller, mm. hide, worry, and we don't want to be out in the world. So um, anxiety can stem from something, as I said, that's happened previously or something that you're worried about happening in the future. So for social anxiety, it might be you're worried about mixing with lots of people now if you drill into that what is it you're worried about is it worried about germs 
Are you worried about embarrassing yourself? Maybe you remember a circumstance that's happened in the past where you felt completely embarrassed and you don't want that to happen again. So you've built that up in your mind. What if this thing happens again? Maybe there's somebody there that you fancy and you get tongue-tied and you don't want to speak to them. It could be lots of different reasons, but your mind just continues to churn it over and over again like a fresh butter. And, uh, and before you know it, you've created yourself a big old pile of anxiety. Yep. Yep, that resonates. Uh, <laughs> sure, I think it's very true. I know exactly where where my anxieties come from, and yeah, it's always that. It's always that anticipation. Yeah, anticipation, anticipation of everything that, that could go wrong, and and it's some of the times it's completely you know irrational stuff. Yeah, I hold stress and anxiety in my shoulders, and I've noticed I had some reflex issues. And I got it into my head that I was going to go out and I was going to just drop my glass and I was going to spill wine or beer on people when I was carrying it. It just became this whole story. Bloody nightmare. That's um, the thing. It becomes a story. You you create your story. That's just so true. Yeah. And the one way that I've always managed with my anxiety is like if you, if you really give in to that story, then you stop doing things. Yeah. Even things that maybe you've got that you normally you would have joy with. You stop doing them because of that. Well, what if this happens? Exactly. That's that's a classic cycle of anxiety. So what you do is, so I've invited you to a party. You're petrified that you're going to spill your drink everywhere. So you've decided that you don't want to go. So you message me, hey, banana shan, can't make it and not going. I'm like, okay, can I tempt you to come? And you're like, no, I, I really, I couldn't. Uh, I'm busy this day. So you've made an excuse. You told me you're busy. So that's fine. So instead of being really nervous and worried about the party, you're now completely relaxed. You're chilled out at home because you know you don't have to go. That mm -hmm. feeling of immediate anxiety has passed because you know that you've avoided that party. But because I really missed you at the party, I've decided to put on a special party for you now. I've made you the guest of honour, to which you are completely horrified. And I've got no idea because I think you were busy with a prior engagement last time. So I've put on this amazing party for you. You're the guest of honour. So what has happened? Well, your anxiety has ramped up like a thousand percent because last time you were able to put it off and now you don't feel like you can cancel because I've done this amazing party for you. What are you going to do? So now instead of just feeling a little bit nervous and pushing through it, you've, you've really built up this worry and really built up this anxiety and then you realise you've got to go through with it. And that's what happens. So that happens when people go off work sick. So they feel really anxious. They're ringing sick. They feel amazing because then they don't have to go. They don't have to give that presentation, they don't have to do the interview, they don't have to speak to that person that they don't like, and they don't have to give the minutes at the next board meeting, they don't have to do any of those things because they've got sick and taken the day off. Well, that's fine. So at home, they're chilling, the few I've managed to get out of it. And they go back into work and they realise, actually, we postponed everything until you came back. Now, can you imagine the abject fear and horror that you would feel? So rather than letting things get on top of you to the point where it can no longer be avoided, think about it. What else could I do instead? Yeah. Now, you could have said to me, Shannon, I'd really like to go to the party, but I'm actually feeling really nervous at the moment. I'm a little bit anxious. Um, you don't have to tell me the innermost depths of your fears and your concerns and your worries, but you could say I'm feeling a little bit out of sorts. And I might say to you as a good friend, well, actually, don't worry about that. I'll meet you at the door. I know a small group of people. I think you get along with like a house on fire. When you, go, when you come in, I'm going to introduce you to them. and We'll take it from there. Let me know when you've had enough and, um, you know, get yourself off. You're not obliged to, to come right at the beginning. You're not obliged to stay right till the end. So there are things that we can do to kind of ease that bit of anxiety. And as a friend or as a, a colleague or as a manager, we need to be asking people, what can I do to make this situation more comfortable for you? Yeah. 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 Totally get that. It all comes down to communication, isn't it? Sure. You know, I think one of the positive things, and I know a lot of people felt this way, certainly last year. I remember I went to a networking event and, and a few people actually said, you know, I'm feeling a bit nervous about this, I'm feeling a bit anxious about this. And it created a room for support. Yeah. And... And then all of a sudden, maybe that story that was stopping them, like, oh, I might be bloody stupid or weak or whatever mm. to do this. You know, it's a bloody networking event. Why am I feeling like this? But all of a sudden, that story, the power of that story 
gone. I mean, obviously the fear, the anxiety was probably still there, but it wasn't in control. Exactly. And how can you change the story? Because it's your story to write. So you could still have those feelings of anticipation and nerves and anxiousness, but you could also decide to turn that into a different feeling and say, actually, I feel really excited about going to this, whatever it happens to be, because anxiety and excitement both have symptoms of arousal. So you get all the feelings of excitement as you would with anxiety, but the difference is, is how we label them. So we could label going to the party as it's nervous excitement rather than mm -hmm. it's dreadful anxiety. So again, it's how you write your own story. Yeah, when I'm just about to do a presentation or something, um, have the, the butterflies mm. in the stomach and my objective is always to turn those those nervous butterflies into butterflies of, of joy and stop yeah. floating around and spreading exactly. the energy around. I, that that was a really powerful thing for me there. Even though I'm really experienced at it now, I still get it. Yeah. And it's like, right, thank you very much. I'm still alive. I'm ready to go. It tells me that I care. I, I'm about to say exactly that. Okay. Sure that you care. And then, yeah, we'd stop spreading the butterflies around the room. Yeah with all my energy bless it so coming back and you've, you've already touched upon this um with with changing the narrative but obviously we live in very stressful times unprecedented for a lot of people you know the pandemic obviously changed the game for everybody for sure. um, in, in so many different ways there were a lot of positives a lot of negatives that came out of it but it it was chaos yeah. at that initial feeling of it and now we've got all the, the stuff that's going on, like here in the UK, the cost of living, there's wars, there's God knows what else going on. And it, I sense this this kind of collective feeling of people holding their breath, like, what next? Mm -hmm. So during these times, what are some ways that, may, that people can keep anxiety and stress at bay? Well, I think sometimes it's not always helpful necessarily to keep it at bay. Sometimes it's okay to think, I feel anxious, mm -hmm. but then dig into it a bit like going to the party. What is it you're anxious about? And there's something that's called Socratic thinking. And that is where we question our thoughts. So for you, it might be, well, give me an example of something that you might feel anxious about, and then we'll, we'll see if we can do a bit of Socratic thinking about uh, it. So, yeah, I think one, I recently did a, a podcast on the fear of public speaking yeah and for me personally one of the things that i used to think about and get very nervous about was that as i was climbing up the stairs onto the stage that i was going to face plant myself okay you're going to fall on you're going to fall flat on your face absolutely okay so and people would laugh at me has that ever happened before no no do you usually fall over I do have flat feet. <laughs> I do have flat feet, so I do have a tendency to stumble. You do have a tendency to but stumble. But I can't remember the last time I face planted myself, no. Okay. So how many steps are there to walk up to get on the stage? Um, say six. Six. How many steps have you got at home, do you reckon? Oh, more than that. Okay. And do you fall on, up and down those steps on a regular basis? Not when I'm sober. <laughs> so we're doing this talk server? No, 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 I'm not, no. Uh, so yes, what, I am. yes, I am, yes, I am, yes, I am. So what's the likelihood in comparison um, to you falling up those stairs? Realistically, what is the likelihood of that happening? Very small. Very small. And if it did happen, if you've fallen before, what happens then? I usually laugh. Okay. And what happens when you laugh? I make a joke and everyone laughs about it and we all get on with it. Exactly. So I want you to imagine now walking onto the stage without stumbling and without falling. Do you think you can do it? Yeah, absolutely. And if you didn't, what was the worst thing that had happened? I would probably make a joke and continue as if I hadn't fallen over. Exactly. So when you think about it like that, does that make you feel any better? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a very simple um, example of it but it's a way that we can think about things more logically more calmly um, without quite so much frenetic energy going on like oh, I'm gonna fall I'm gonna fall oh, and panicking and fretting and things like that just being really calm and being like 
even if I did, does it matter? Yeah, it's something that I think we all have those things. Certainly with the, the public speaking, there's that people might have that fear that they're going to be ignored, not seen, not listened to, laughed at. I think the classic one is that their trousers will fall down or that, you know, that's the classic one that they'll, they'll look down and realize they're naked or stuff. I mean, come on. I mean, but you know, those stories can just, just take control, right? Absolutely. Yeah, completely. Changing the subject a little bit. Another thing that jumped out when I was researching um, this episode, I had a little look on your, on your website and you mentioned something and, I think we often lose sight of this um, in a lot of times, but everybody is human. Absolutely. <laughs> everyone is human and everyone has a breaking point. For sure. Um, for many people that can sneak up on them. Um, you know, I've heard so many people talk about burnout and myself, you know, the first time I realized I was burnt, I was like, how the hell did that happen? Didn't see it. Didn't see it coming until I was <laughs> basically couldn't get out of bed in the morning i understand completely. so in terms of that because i see the term burnout all the time you're going to burn out if you do this you will burn out i am burnt out i see it so much uh, on social media coming up um, in, in meetings in networking events and everything so what are some of the warning signs of this okay. and what can people do to stop getting to the point where they do action when they are burnt out yeah so i use something which is called an emotional scale so this is something that i use a lot with clients and i'll give you a very brief run through it now so i think everybody's got an emotional scale so i'm going to go one to ten number one is the worst you've ever felt in your life and ten you've never felt better <laughs> where do you think you sit actually on that scale generally what today or just in general, in general just you know, on the, so we'll use a week as an average. Where do you sit? You have to take seven days into account. Where do you sit on that scale of one to ten? One being the worst, ten being the best ever. I say I'm a good steady seven at the moment. Okay, that's good. I'd also say I'm about a seven as well. Um, so for me, a seven looks like um, I'm eating a reasonable diet. I'm getting fresh air. I'm socialising. Spend time with my cat. I spend time with the people that I love um, and I'm working and I feel productive. To me, that's a seven. I've got things to look forward to. What would you describe as your seven? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty light, pretty engaged, happy at the moment. Um, yeah, socialising, getting out, lots of fresh air, uh, exercising Is yeah, sleeping every okay? day. Sleeping every okay? For me, yes. For you, yes, okay. Yeah. So you'll you'll know what's right for you. Yeah. So that's, so that's how we know that you're a seven. So you said that you felt burnt out. How did yeah. you feel when you were burnt out, and how would you rate that? How would you score that? Oh, when I was burnt out, I was just <sighs> I don't know about a score because I don't know if it was the worst I'd ever felt in terms of emotionally, but I felt that I couldn't think straight, that everything was difficult. I felt overwhelmed. I was tired. I wanted to sleep a lot. Um, yeah. Didn't really see much joy in stuff. And I started catastrophizing. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So on this scale of one to 10, I think it's important that we have a tolerance. So we want to be, it's okay to be either side of the seven. So yes, sometimes you want to be a 10, happy, joyful, exuberant, life's never been better. But I suggest that we save those for high days and holidays. It's impossible to live your life at a 10. I don't care what the online gurus tell us, living life at a 10 would be exhausting. Just as it would be intolerable to live life at a one. So mm -hmm. you've got to find where is your comfortable place on this scale. And you've got to know where your comfortable place is and how you feel when you're there. So we know what our sevens look like. Mm -hmm. Our sevens might be different. How would you know if you were slipping away from a seven? For me, it would be that I'm eating a load of crap. It would be that I'm not sleeping very well. It might be that I'm a little bit tetchy or a little bit moody. Mm. And I would know that I'm slipping to the lower numbers. So what do I need to do to bring me back to my comfortable, happy seven? Well, it might be 
correcting the things that, that are not going well. So if I'm eating crap, turn it on its head, eat more healthily. Mm-hmm. If I'm drinking too much, nip it in the bud. If I'm not sleeping well, what can I do to improve that? So it's knowing yourself well enough to have your own personal scale. And this is something that I do with clients a lot. I get them to write down their one to 10 and write down the different associated words, emotions, feelings, where they are on the scale. And then you will know quite easily when you're slipping to somewhere that's not comfortable and how to bring yourself back. It sounds like a lot of work, but you will find that you just naturally start to calibrate when you think about it in those terms. Yeah, I I, absolutely. It absolutely makes sense. I think one of the things that, that I did when I noticed that certain things were off, like how I was starting my days, how I was finishing my days was I redesigned them. Okay. So I basically followed a series of habits. One followed the other and then it just became programmed. And now those things are natural to me. And if they fall out in any way, shape or form, I notice I'm off. Yeah. So it's it's basically, basically it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a very powerful thing, just having that awareness and that, just asking questions to yourself. Yeah, it could be something simple like, how do I feel today? How do I feel about this, whatever it happens to be? And then nipping it in the bud soon enough so it doesn't come as a great big shock of, oh my goodness, I'm completely burnt out. Um, yeah. Because you kind of know that you're heading towards that. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly this year I noticed it early, which was one of the reasons I took so much time off over the summer. I just knew that I was starting to go down. Yeah. And I was like, what do I need to change here? Which part of myself is not being nurtured? Mm -hmm. And I realized for me that my life literally revolved around my work. Yeah. So I removed work from the equation. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was lovely. (laughs) So one thing I also do when I catch stories um, maybe when I am a little low on energy, feeling a bit down, a little bit nervous, a little bit anxious, I use something called the emotional freedom technique um, yeah. or EFT. Mm-hmm. And I know this is something that you use. You've put videos out, like showing people about it. And and it's it's a very beneficial thing. But a lot of people still don't know what EFT is and they're not aware of it. They may even consider it a bit (laughs) woo-woo. Yeah. Um, So could you just explain to to the listeners what is EFT and and what are some of the benefits of it? So very briefly, EFT, as you said, is emotional freedom technique and it stems from acupuncture and ancient Chinese medicine mixed with a shot of neuroscience. And it's a wonderful thing that you can do for yourself by yourself to alleviate a number of different emotional and physical um, conditions. It's been around since about 1980 in its original format, TFT, which is thought field therapy. Um, And later in the 90s, it became emotional freedom technique. The only way that thought field therapy differs is that they mix something which is called a recipe. So with the recipe, you tap on different areas, but I'm getting ahead of myself. EFT basically is tapping on the different acupuncture points in the body. We've got something that runs down the body, which is called the meridian system, and it's the body's energy highway. It runs down either side of the body. And what you can do is like a little hack is you can tap on the different areas on the meridian system and that will um, affect a different change in your body. So it might be tapping on your eyebrow here. It could be tapping on your collarbone, which is amazing for relieving anxiety. So people do think it's a little bit woo-woo, although there have been nearly 300 studies on EFT. And what they've found is that the the highlight of it, I think that they found is that it reduces the stress hormone cortisol by about 43%. And that's by just doing these series of tapping on your body. So it has direct contact with the amygdala, um, which feeds into the limbic system. And by doing this, it automatically... um, releases those feelings of stress, worry, overwhelm, and it can calm us down and it makes us feel a lot more chilled out. But you can also do it for other reasons. You can do it for 
do it for back pain. In fact, I just watched a video a few days ago about a lady that had a persistent pain in her back. And for four years, she'd tried lots of different treatments. She tried acupuncture. She'd tried um, lots of different medicines, potions, lotions. She'd been rubbed down with an oily rag and nothing had worked. And she stumbled upon EFT and she did it. And literally within two days, um, she'd managed to cure herself. The benefit of EFT is that you tap with your fingers and no needles are required. All the tapping points, of which there are eight, are all above the waist and easily accessible. So you can basically do it anytime, anywhere, um, and feel these lovely, warm, calming signals go to your brain. Yeah, I can personally vouch for it. Um, it it's something, yeah, I, I think you actually taught me that one. Yeah, that, yeah, there are additional ones on the back of the hand. That one, that one, yeah, that one in the in the karate chop. Yeah. If ever, you know, I'm in a, a meeting or I'm just about to go live or I'm on a train or whatever, I'll have a little tip-tap if I'm feeling a little bit on edge or it, it's just a really good tool and you can take it with you anything, anywhere. That's the benefit of it. It is. I think it's... I love meditation, but I think it's really good for people that find that they can't meditate because they get distracted. Because you are tapping, um, I'll just tap now while I'm talking. I appreciate if you're listening on the podcast and you're not watching, you can't see it. But I'll just tap as I'm talking. But you can basically, you can tap um, anytime. It's no big deal. Um, and as you're tapping, I'm just kind of like rushing through the different points so people can see them. It's reducing that cortisol. It's reducing the worry. And whereas in meditation, you're encouraged to sit still and some people find it difficult to sit still. You don't need to sit still with this because you're doing something. You're focusing on this and it's removing your, your mind and your worries away from whatever it was that was causing you problems in the first place. Yeah. Well, that's why I love it. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's one of the benefits for many people I know I've used and I swear by acupuncture as well. Um, ever since my experiences in China, oh. uh, yeah, I got the, the hardcore original version of it, yeah. which was no, not really. Only if I moved, if the needles were in certain points, um, I, I, but, I it hurt my ear. It really hurt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I used to, th th there's that initial bit, you know, because I've had issues with sinuses and everything. So I've, I've had the whole pin cushion face. Ooh. And there are some points where when that initially goes in, if there's an energy block, it hurts. Oh, yeah. Um, but after that, the lady I go to see for acupuncture in the UK, she always laughs at me. She's like, yeah, you'll wince or you'll be a bit in pain to start with and then you'll just pass out. And this is somebody, <laughs> and when I say pat out, just, just go to sleep, just go into a very deep meditative state. And sometimes I sleep and it's the best way I've ever found to get into a meditative state. Really? Um, and they always laugh at me, just the fact that I'll just like, dunk, gone, and I'll just leave them to it. And I, and I leave very, very chilled. And yeah, that's, that's the one thing I love about, about certainly acupuncture. But I know for many people, the, the prospect of having needles put in them or anywhere near them is, is a really big no-no. So, so having something like EFT is something really, really powerful. That and like it's you free said, as well. yeah, yeah. There's just so much stuff out there with. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's lots of love stuff. It. And you can either you can do it by yourself. There's lots of videos online that you can watch about it, or you can work one to one with somebody. And what I would say is that if you're using it to work on your emotional problems and free yourself of things that have emotionally held you back, it is better to work with somebody professionally because it's a bit like going to the gym and working out. I'm quite lazy when it comes to working out. So if I went to the gym by myself, when it gets difficult, I would go, oh, it's time for me to go home and I would finish my session. Whereas if I was working with a PT and they were like, give me five more squats and I paid my money, I would give them five more yeah. squats. And these are emotional squats. So when you're doing it by yourself, the temptation is when it kind of gets a little bit uncomfy and a little bit, a little bit challenging, people quite often when they're doing EFT by themselves, they will stop. Whereas if you're working with somebody professionally, they can guide you through those emotions and those problems and bring you out the other side, feeling a lot more positive. Um, and ideally, having resolved the things um, that you're worried about in the first place. Yeah, I think certainly that really helps because obviously the, you can obviously tap along 
you know, you can just tap the meridians, have an idea in your mind yeah. and you get the benefits for that. But I think the, the one of the powerful parts of EFT is that talk side of things when you're, you're reframing Absolutely. different situations in your mind and, and, and creating more positive, letting stuff go. And I think that's very powerful and need some help with that. Sure. Definitely. Well, the videos that I post on LinkedIn, when I do tapping, I've, I've not put any on, actually, not for a while. Um, but the ones that I put on, I don't do any talking on them because it might be that somebody wants to just tap along and think about whatever it is that they've got going on. But you can tap for specific things, as I mentioned, like stress, anxiety, overwhelm, a bad knee. There are different things, which is why the talking part comes into its own. Mm -hmm. But that's something that you need to do either with a professional or separately awesome you mentioned meditation there and that's obviously one of the things that you see everywhere now it's even on the nhs website for, oh, yeah. but for one of the things to use for you know a tool that you can use to alleviate stress or anxiety or feel calmer um i use meditation i've meditated for years meditate every day um and like you said, there are days where there's a lot of chatter. Today yeah. was not one of those. Today was very, today was very tranquil. And so was yesterday, actually. I was really in the zone yesterday. But there are days, even somebody who's got over 15 years of meditation practice now, where it's like, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah. but it's still persevering with it. And yoga is something that I've also used, exercise, getting out. And one of the things that that I know that you talk to people about is mindfulness as yeah. well. And, and that has got a lot of headlines and people have been saying, hey, yeah, mindfulness is this, mindfulness is important. It will help you do this, help you do that, help you do that. But people are like, what the hell does it bloody mean? Okay. Um, well, so how would, you, how would you define it? Mindfulness has been right here right now and accepting this for what it is without any judgment or wishing it were different. So a way that you and I could be more mindful in this moment is to um, just change our body posture a little bit. Let's both sit up a little bit straighter. I notice we're both leaning like this. We're both yes. we're, we're mirror images of each other. Both sit <laughs> up a little bit. Make our backs nice and long. Let's have a nice breath in through our nose. Nice breath outwards. As I've done that, I've actually realised that my hands are quite cold. I don't feel cold, but I've noticed that my hands are a little bit cold. If I put them on the back of my neck, it's actually a really nice sensation because my neck's quite warm. Oh, what about you? My hands aren't. Yeah, my hands feel all right. But then when I touched it, it felt like there's a difference in temperature. Yeah. Yeah. So normally I have cold hands, but they feel quite warm. Now cold hands, warm heart. I've got Absolutely. an electric. No, I've got electric. I've got a hot water bottle here uh, behind my back. So um, I didn't really notice it when we were talking, but now I've thought about it, I can feel it. These are all the things that make us mindful. And it's just being very aware of where we are, what we're doing. It's really listening to you when you speak. It's mm. considering what I say when I reply. It's basically, it's not running your life on autopilot. We can't live yesterday today. We can only live today now. We can't live tomorrow today we can only live this moment right here right now once you get an appreciation for that it's learning to do the most you can with it it's like when you spend time with the people that you love it's really drink it in really enjoy it don't spend all the time on your phone mm. like a little thing like yesterday me and gary my cat we were having a little play and i was on my phone and i was like no no put your phone down and just enjoy like yep. getting him to chase the mousey and you know, it it sounds like a little thing, but like I really enjoyed those few minutes rather than half half arsing things, half mm. doing things. It's been really um it's seen things in colour rather than black and white, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. It's so easy to just let the world pass you by, isn't it? I mean there's so many distractions oh, right yeah. now. And one of the things I'd like to do is is go out when I go on my walks and actually just really pay attention to what is going on around me. Um, and, and that means utilizing all the senses, Absolutely. listening. One, one of the form, one of my favorite types of meditation is, is listening. Oh, definitely. Just listening to the sounds like within the room, outside the room, 
and maybe sometimes focusing on a specific sound. So maybe like the birds are doing something outside and just focusing on that. And it's very powerful. I mean, it's, you know, in this day and age, certainly with how much time we're spending online and on our phones and our devices and everything, it's very easy just to lose, literally lose time. It definitely is. I mean, you made a really good, sorry, go on. No, go after you. I was just going to say that you made a really good point there about the different senses. So traditionally, mindfulness is made up of five different senses. So it's sight, sound, smell, taste and touch. Um, and it's basically utilising those in the best possible way that you can. And we spend a lot of time scrolling through our phones, but I think we spend longer scrolling through life. What we don't realise is <laughs> that we can't go backwards. Yeah. We're constantly trying to get to the next best thing. We're trying to scroll to the holiday, to the weekend, to the one I've lost half a stone, to Christmas, to this, to that. We're constantly looking forward. And while we're looking forward, we're not enjoying the now. So yeah. I, I always find it really sad when people are longing for the weekend. Where mm -hmm. I used to work, um, the lady used to call me Shona, bless her. She had a lot of names to remember. She'd say, morning, Shona, on a Monday. i say, good morning. How are you doing? She'd say, oh, not bad for a Monday. Oh, Tuesday morning, Shona, good morning. How are you? Oh, Tuesday. And so it would go on progressively yeah. through the week. And then on Thursday, oh, I'm on my tiptoes. I can almost see Friday. Then on a Friday morning, morning, Shona, morning. How are you? Oh, it's Friday. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, I'm so sorry for you. But all you have to look forward to is the weekend because yeah. that makes your life very narrow when you're constantly looking forward and not living the here and the now. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so that's so true in so many industries that whole and i've had it certainly i think we've i think we've probably all had at some point that 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 moment where it's oh geez it's sunday i've got to go to work tomorrow and yeah. you're not actually enjoying the fact that you've got time off yeah no you're too worried about what's happening tomorrow um you've constantly go into work on a on a monday and you've got your eyes on the prize of getting to the weekend surviving instead surviving, of thriving surviving or oh, when people go on holiday and then they can't enjoy the holiday because they're like oh we're only here for a week and they spend the whole the whole week morning <laughs> they've maybe That's... saved up for it for 12 months or yeah. to it for, you know a year and then when it's there they've never truly immersed themselves in the holiday because then they're worried about what they've got to do when they get back to work and that's just it's, what a waste well, I think that isn't that that's kind of endemic of society as a whole at the moment, isn't it? Really, the fact that like... we're always on, and yeah. and as we talked about earlier on, you know, when you were talking about looking after yourself, the hustle culture, you need to be constantly on. How can you be successful if you're not on LinkedIn twenty four seven? You're not on social media twenty four seven. You're not taking calls twenty four seven. On, 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 and it's no wonder people are so bloody stressed, and then Absolutely. they spend their whole holiday like. Oh, God. One of the things that I said to myself over the summer was like, I'm leaving my computer at home. I'm deleting social media off my Good phone. For you. I'm going to be there. Yeah. And for the most part, I was. Um, I'm not going to say, yeah, it was complete detox. There are times where just bad habits kicked in. But by and large, I spent my time there having real conversations, talking to people, going around, being immersed. And and that might seem, just because, again, with the way our culture is at the moment, that might seem completely alien to so many people out there, especially in the business world. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes you do just have to switch it off. Or if you can't trust yourself to switch it off, do what you did, which is just delete the app for a little bit. Give yourself permission to actually say, you know what? I'm just going to do me today. And some people maybe can't commit to a week. But if you know that you want to check your social media or you know that you're on holiday and you know that you're itching to check your work emails and you know that you can't enjoy your holiday unless you do that, then say, okay, I'm going to allow myself a half an hour on this day at this time. And when it's done, I'm going to switch it off. And that's it. You know, um, you know, one size doesn't fit all. Some people wouldn't feel that they could enjoy the holiday if they didn't check their emails, mm -hmm. if they didn't dip onto social media. And I'm not saying that, you know, that that's right for everybody. But if you know that you want to do that, well, then do it. But have a cut-off time, have a boundary yeah. around it. Boundaries. Don't be checking it all the time. Don't be posting continual selfies and stuff. 
and then checking for the reply and you know does it does it really enhance your holiday if beverly likes a photograph of your niece on a beach <laughs> in does it really <laughs> yes yes it does it gives me validation yeah you know i mean <laughs> But no, I mean, I, I'm joking. That is something, obviously. I mean, social media is created on that, that that need to gain external validation and gratification. I completely get how people get sucked into it. It is addictive. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So we're fast approaching the end of our time together today. Um, you've already mentioned a few things that you help clients with, but if there's any listeners out there that are looking for support right now, I'm... Um, do you have any offers or services that you'd like to let them know about today? Uh, the best thing that people could do would be to have a look at my website, shameless plug, which is uh, pathwaysforpositivity.com because there's a full range of things that I offer on there, which are predominantly workplace well-being. That can be a, certificate, a certificated first aid for mental health course. I do awareness one day and two day courses. I also offer a series of bespoke different sessions. So it could be anything from kindfulness, which is a bit like mindfulness, but with a kindful element. It could be stress management, um, gosh, cuddly toy. Have a look at the website. There's all sorts. I also work one-to-one -one with people as well. Stress, anxiety, overwhelm, resilience, confidence building, anything along those lines. Fabulous, fabulous. And all your details will be uh, in the description for this podcast, wherever you're watching or listening this. So before we ride off into the sunset, and uh, you did mention the term confidence, I think that's a nice little transition <laughs> into the final question. I always ask everyone who joins me here on the podcast is what is your espresso shot of confidence for our listeners? Something that comes up a lot is public speaking. Mm -hmm. that's the thing that people feel the most nervous about my key tip for confidence is be prepared be prepared know it upside down inside out and back to front but never try to be word perfect nobody expects you to be perfect and when you try to be perfect you put an unnecessary amount of pressure on your shoulders so be natural be yourself, have fun, have a cackle of a laugh like I do, um, and just know that you're going to smash it. And the reason you know you're going to smash it is before you even step on the stage, you've gone through a visualisation from beginning to end of it being successful and going really, really well. Love it. Love it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So thank you very much for sharing that. And thank you very much for joining us, Shannon. My pleasure. That's it for this episode. To get notifications of when the latest episodes drop into your part of the universe, please subscribe wherever you're listening or watching this. And all that is left to say is have a great day, great week, great life, great laughter life, great everything. And as always, don't forget to be awesome. Fab. Um. <laughs>